Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Zen Ashe. I'm your conduit, your coach, and your catalyst to that better life. A coach draws out hidden potential in the subject. A conduit provides a connection and a catalyst sparks change. And today I'm going to connect you to author Elizabeth Brown, the author of two books. The first is called Sour Lemonade. And what is the name of the other book? Unwanted Confessions Confirmed. Awesome. So we are here today to talk about discipline and her life and how discipline has played a role in the writing of her books. So I always put several topics on my podcast guest list and discipline was one of them. So what made you pick that topic? I chose discipline because within the last like four years, I've had to learn a lot of discipline. Um, I've gone through a lot of family deaths and uh, they were all people that were really, really close to me, my grandparents, my sister. Um, and through that time, you know, I, I picked up this habit, this addiction, and I had to learn some self-control and some discipline and kind of figure out where I was at in my life and where I wanted to be. That required a lot of discipline because without it, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't have written two books. <laughs> I know losing family is really hard and you have to adapt to that loss and it can send you into a spiral of all kinds of feelings. So I can understand how you ended up having to deal with um, some addiction there and, and discipline and trying to come out of that is really important. And also, you are right, writing a book is really difficult. My first finished book is still unpublished. I sent it to an agent who wanted a lot of changes and I got overwhelmed with all the changes he wanted. And I ended up putting that book on a shelf and I published some nonfiction mini books instead. So just getting a book finished requires a lot of discipline. It does. And I wrote both of my books at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they were both written at the same time. They were both published at the same time, both released at the same time. And I'm trying to sell them at the same time. So it's, it's definitely been a journey. I cannot even imagine writing two books at the same time because I wrote one 20 page book and then I wrote one 24 page book and I can't imagine having two different topics going at the same time. So you had a tremendous amount of discipline to get that done. Uh, and we all have areas where we're strong in discipline and weak in discipline. I've been working on improving my discipline in certain areas, and I'll be sharing some insights that I've learned in this podcast. What do you think is the foundation of discipline? Foundation? Like, where does it come from? God. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm a strong believer in God, and I just believe that, you know, we are all given choices. And although we may um, pray to God or a higher being of some sort, um, we still have to do the work. And the foundation of discipline roots from that, that initial choice you get as a kid. You know, you have to lay the fertilizer, you know, it grows and things like that. And as a kid, what we went through or what we didn't go through helped shape, you know, what our discipline would look, look like, whether we would be strong or whether we would be weak in it. Okay, I agree with that. Family has a lot to do with it. Some children are raised in strict environments with a lot of rules. They learn a lot of discipline because they have to live a certain way. Others have no rules. 
You know, they get up whenever they want and they don't have any chores. So they expect to get away with a lot. And then they have a rude awakening as an adult because saying no to bad habits is more difficult once you're set in your ways. And then you realize, oh, I have to change. So I agree with you that discipline starts in the foundation of childhood, how we're raised. And if we don't have that foundation strong, it makes it very difficult for us later. Well, and see, I um, I actually dealt with both sides of what you spoke about as family dynamics. Um, so as a younger child, I grew up with, I'll just, I'll just say my dad's side and my mom's side to make it simple for everybody. But I grew up with my dad's side and my auntie raised me. And then I grew up with my mom's side and my mom was more of that relaxed parent you were talking about. Get up when we want, didn't have to make the bed. We had chores, but it was still very relaxed. My aunt's side was that discipline. This is what you do in the morning. You make your bed every day. We go to school every day. You know, we're going to learn every day. Like, so it was just, I dealt with both of them. And as an adult trying to find your place, and trying to find the discipline in your life, I can say is it's it's hard. Um, it is, it's hard. And to be truthful, now is when I'm struggling with it. And I thought for so many years that, oh, I'm fine, I can just wipe it off my shoulder, you know, everything is okay. And I don't know, I got in my thirties and I'm like, wait a minute, there is an issue. <laughs> you know, and so I had to go back to my childhood and figure out where this issue stemmed from, which is the discipline again. And it stemmed from when I was a child. So I was a child athlete. So when I was in training, I ate healthy and exercised. Discipline was imposed on me by my coaches. Then I left college, got married, had kids and tried to retain some of that. But I had a partner who made that difficult. So when I got divorced, I was out of the habit. I was in the habit of eating whatever was convenient and tasty and had begun eating out a lot. So recently I decided I need to put more discipline in my life. And I met with a weight loss coach and she told me to listen to a podcast called brain over binge. The first episode dealt with how, when we get tempted and give into that temptation, we actually are wiring our brains to strengthen that habit because our brain associates the feeling of satisfaction we get from giving into that temptation with the bad habit. So we actually have to resist that temptation and rewire our brain to feel satisfaction from the feeling of control or the weight loss that results from the changes. But initially there will be a very uncomfortable period when our brain, body, and emotions are all resisting change. And that's where remembering the why can be helpful. And this doesn't apply only to eating, but to other habits. For example, if you hit the snooze button every time and end up late to work, so they were saying on this podcast that you have to break the cycle and you have to start with your new pattern and that we have to realize we actually have two brains, the primitive brain or animal brain and the advanced brain, the prefrontal cortex. The primitive brain just cares about survival, just getting through the day, whatever makes you feel good. It's not worried about your goals. It's not worried about the long term. It's not worried about making sacrifices. And they were saying that we have to realize that if we have a really strong temptation and urge, it's not really us. It's the animal part of the brain. And we can say no. And the more we say no, the urge will weaken and eventually go away. But the more we say yes, 
the more it will strengthen and become a habit. So we have to break the cycle and then retrain the animal brain to crave better habits. And that's where the discipline comes in. When we have to use our logical brain to start on a better path. Mm -hmm. So I wonder then a question I have for you is what do you think it's like for people who under eat? Do you think it will be the same process as far as discipline? Well, this podcast was for emotional eaters, bingers, and anorexics, all of that. So basically someone who is under eating is still following a similar pattern, except their temptation is to deny their hunger signals. So they have to say to themselves to be healthy, I need to learn to give in to my hunger and eat. Not when I'm starving to death, but when I'm hungry to eat adequately so that I'm not underfed or overfed, but adequately fed. And they were saying not to focus on the emotions that come with the urges because one time it might be fear, another time anger, another time loneliness, but the habit is the habit. Sometimes we get caught up in thinking we got to fix the fear or fix the, the hatred or the anger, but we really have to focus on interrupting the habit and realizing that it's just our emotions and our animal brain talking and not really the real us that might want to have a better life. So this podcast was saying there's a need to realize that your brain has to get used to the new pattern and it takes time to rewire your brain. It takes 30, 60 or 90 days to make a new habit and that we can't gauge our success or our progress by our emotions because we just feel emotions and those emotions come just because they're triggered by whatever, you know, whatever triggers them. So we can't say, oh, I'm angry or I'm upset. That must mean I'm not making progress because our brain still has to be given time to rewire itself. And we just have to not give into the urges when our emotions are saying, I'm hungry, I want some comfort food, or I'm sad, I want some comfort food. We can't give in to those urges. We have to be aware that it's an urge. And it also is not because I'm broken or flawed or weak. It's just a habit. It's a pattern. And we have to expect that we're going to mess up sometimes. We're going to give in to that urge every now and then, but we have to get right back up. And the next time we have an urge, that's when we exercise that discipline and we start to build momentum towards the new goal. So maybe we give in, you know, five times out of seven times the first time we try to change. And then next time we give in only two times out of seven times, that's still progress. So I also just finished reading a book called Atomic Habits, which talked about how to realize that certain cues can lead to certain behaviors automatically because of our brain wiring. It's called automaticity. And it's also tied to identity. We've gotten used to thinking of ourselves as certain types of people. So when we try to change We also have to change our mindset because it's easy for us to fall back in the habit of acting that past way because we're so used to it. It's our pattern. So for me, this book and this podcast took a little of the pressure off. You know, sometimes people feel like if I'm depressed or I'm lonely, how do I fix that? And I have to fix that because that's what's making me overeat or binge or undereat. And these doctors were like, no. You can acknowledge the emotion and realize that it's just an urge. It's just a triggered feeling and that it can go away. But that habit is what you have to focus on because the habit is a behavior and it's a much easier to change than trying to control emotions, which come and go, you know, at whim. 
And that only changing the habit can change your body, can change your health. Um, And that's a lot like writing, as we were talking about your book. You have to get the words down on the page, no matter how you feel. You have to put in the time, put in the work. So what made you have the energy and motivation to want to write? Um, truthfully, I didn't have plans on being an author of any sort. Poetry is just an outlet for me, or well, it was just an outlet for me. And last year, my friends were, you know, through the pandemic and everything, my, uh, my friend was telling me like, you should write the, you know, you should put your poems into a book. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not my thing. I don't want to really share my work, you know? And I don't know. She just kept really making me feel good about it. And with her motivation and just her, um, her willingness to push me is really what got me to write the books. It was, um, it was difficult just because, you know, I was in the, the rain, the sleet, the snow, you know, back and forth at the library because I have a laptop. But, of course, writing, writing a book, my laptop doesn't work, right? So, you know, I was back and forth at the library day in, day out. You know, I went to work for eight hours at the library for at least five or six a day. And so it was just, it was really difficult, but knowing that I had the ability to write the books and that someone cared enough to, you know, wanted me to get my work out there. It was motivation enough for me to do it. Well, I want to bring some light on what you just said, because people will say, Oh, I want to write a book someday. As if it's the easiest thing in the world to do. And you just said you went to work for eight hours and then you went to the library for five or six hours a day. And there are people who will never commit to that kind of investment of time that takes discipline. You know, I'm reading the book on writing by Stephen King. And he says, if you want to be a writer, you need to be willing to put in four to six hours a day when you're writing a book. And if you're not willing to do that, don't even start. Don't even start the process because that's what it takes to get finished. And, you know, people who think, oh, you know, I just want to write a book one day. They are not even considering the discipline it takes to get in your car and the rain and the sleet and the snow, as you said, day after day when you're tired after work and sit there for four to six hours a day to get that first draft done. And then when you get the first draft done, you are not done. You have to read it. You have to revise it. Then you're still not done. You have to edit it. And then you still have to go through the process of proofreading it even another time to make sure it's all right. You didn't leave things out. And then sometimes there's even more that has to be done, like getting the book cover done, getting the copy editing done, deciding who you want to publish it, or if you're going to publish it yourself, that's all discipline. That is all painstaking effort and work through that. Um, Through the process as well, I was dealing with, um, like I said, I had been dealing with addiction and my addiction was alcohol. And so because I was confused, remember I talked about being confused between the two households and where I stood that created this addiction that I had. And I don't know, I just, I I keep saying that, you know, I just have to give it 100% to God because that wasn't my plan at the time that it happened, but it happened. And I had to have discipline doing that and try and have discipline doing my books and being stressed out and wanting to drink a glass of wine when that's not the place I'm at took 
far more disciplined than I was even prepared for. Well, I have heard that alcohol sales and drug sales increased dramatically during the past year. People fell off the wagon because of COVID, George Floyd, unemployment, all the weather changes, you know, Trump and his followers doing all the things that they did. You know, routines were erased. People felt fear. They had fear of getting COVID. You know, they had fear of losing their jobs. They have fear of going through their savings. They have fear of sending their kids to school or not sending them to school. What are they doing at the house? You know, they had fear of their kids failing. Um, there were just so many fears, so much stress. It seems like everywhere you turn, you had stress everywhere and you couldn't even feel comfortable leaving your house for a period of time. And even some people will say they don't feel comfortable even now because we have, you know, another variant out there. So all of these stressful situations at one time, not for a week, not for a month. I mean, it's still going on. And in the middle of that, you're trying to be productive. In the middle of that, you're trying to put your thoughts on paper, which is kind of stressful at times because you want to get it right. You want to, you want to have something that's a good product, something you can be proud of, you know, so there's also that added stress, but you know, it's amazing that you were able to exercise the discipline to stay sober and to also complete a massive project, like like I already said, going to work eight hours a day and then writing four to six hours every every evening. I mean, that is dedication and discipline, you know, at a high level. Um, and so I commend you for that. It was like the go-to. Mm, yeah. I'm stressed, yeah. I'm gonna go to this. I'm worried, I'm gonna go to this. You know, just for nothing, I'm gonna go to this. You know, and so it's, it, extremely difficult, <laughs> extremely difficult. You had to deal with all these situations without that outlet that all of your friends and your family may have been using. Um, you mentioned that your faith helped you. I, I, I literally can't give credit to anything else. And I'll just explain uh, the story really quickly. So in 2019, um, New Year's came and I partied and I had a good time with my family. You know, it was great. Um, and then January 1st, you know, I thought, hey, I'm going to take my box of wine home. I'm going to have me a glass. I'm going to now just unwind. Well, I put my box of wine in my refrigerator and never touched it again. That That's that's really how it went. I never touched it again. Friends and family that came over, I offered them some wine. You know, I, I have tons of wine cups. So I just started putting juice in it. And still, I have not taken the action to go to the liquor store and buy anything to drink. Doesn't mean that I haven't thought about it in stressful situations, but the thought wasn't strong enough for me to get up and go. And that's a part of that discipline that we're talking about. It just, that discipline and self-control, you know, and not feeding the habit. So I, I can't give credit to anything else outside of my higher being, which, you know, is God because I had plans on drinking and he said, no, you don't never again. Yeah. I understand that. Uh, when you have a plan and then you have something inside you that says, no, never again. And then you, you may have those urges come up again, but there's something inside you that's still pushing and saying, no, that was the last time, you know, the very last time that you're going to do that. And there seems to be that shift within, like you look at yourself differently. I, I think about that movie, you know, when uh, Tina Turner 
what's love got to do with it? You know, when Angela Bassett is sitting there playing Tina Turner and she's all bloody and she's doing her nam yo ho run genkyo and then she looks in the mirror and she sees herself and she's stunned because she didn't even know that she looked like that all beaten and bloody and there's this sudden shift and she just gets up grabs her things and runs out into you know the 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 lobby across the way and she says hey I'm Tina Turner I need a room you know my husband beat me um, I'll pay you back so there was that sudden no this is the last time this is the last time and and you can't go back after that um, and that because that change just feels so definite and feels set in stone and you almost feel like you see yourself like in this different light you see yourself and you want to be a different person um and and I love that the way that you describe that cuz it takes me back to the book that I mentioned already atomic habits when he was talking about when we see ourselves and we recognize our identity and that we want to be a different person we want to get away from those things that have kind of bandaged us or um hurt us or you know that have just caused us to be where we don't want to be. So that resonated with my experience. And then thinking back to that brain over binge podcast, when they were talking about how we have to make certain decisions that certain things are not an option. It's just not an option to go back to that. Because if we give ourselves excuses or permission to slide back, we will fail. And we just have to say, no, this isn't healthy. It's not helpful. And it's simply not an option. It doesn't matter whether I feel sad, angry, frustrated, those are just feelings. And I'm not tied to those feelings. I don't have to give in to those feelings because this is not an option. I've had this epiphany about myself. I feel different. I want to do something different and I am going to exercise the discipline it takes to step into this different life. That That's just how it worked out for me. Other people, you know, many people have different stories and um, how things happen for them. I was told that this is one of the like easiest kind of sobriety stories and I'm like well it may be easy but the road it took to get here was not so you know people like to use the word easy and they're not in your shoes and they don't know I mean you talked about having deaths in your family you talked about the sacrifices that you made to make this book um and your struggles are your struggles. And on the outside, they may say, oh, it's so easy. You just made a decision and you walked away. Um, and it's hardly ever that easy. It just looks that easy from the outside. So, you know, when we're hurting, when we're struggling, we're looking for relief. You said that was your go-to. Giving up the thing that is your go-to is not easy. Because as soon as you get stressed, you said, that's what you went to. As soon as you, anything happened, that's what you went to. You used it to celebrate. You used it when, you know, you were down, depressed, lonely, frustrated, all those feelings. That's what you went to, you know? So you had to redefine how you were going to deal with your emotions. You had to redefine how you were going to care for yourself, how you were going to celebrate. And you couldn't just give in to the temptation at that moment. You know, so people saying it's easy just because you didn't have some, you know, near death experience does not mean that it was easy. You know, so that's, you know, something that I wanted to give you credit for because yeah, I don't think that that's easy. Um, we, 
when we change, we have to come up with different things to replace those things, those go-tos. So it might be, you know, taking a nap, talking to someone who's supportive, reading a good book, walking along a nature trail, getting a massage, taking a hot bath, you know, those things that are good for your body, mind, soul, and spirit. You know, we also have to ask ourselves questions like, how am I going to feel an hour from now? How am I going to feel tomorrow? And if I'm not going to feel good about what I'm doing, then let me not give in to that feeling. Let me let that feeling pass. I understand that I had that urge. I'm human. I had an urge, but I don't have to follow that urge. That urge is not me. It's just a feeling that showed up. It's just, you know, an urge. It's not who I am. It's not my identity. I don't have to give into it. It was so bad for me. Um, <laughs> I think it's funny now, but at the time, I, I didn't realize how much damage it had done to me and my life and just the, uh, the place that I wanted to be is I was talking with my therapist and she would tell me like, you know, Lizzie, just take some self-care, just relax, you know, unwind. During that time when she took that, instead of taking it the way she actually meant it, to me that means, or that meant okay, it's okay to go to the liquor store. It's okay to drink some wine. It's okay to call people and let them know your feelings during this time. This is all okay because it's self-care and I'm getting it out when truthfully I was doing nothing but hurting myself. Mm. And so it's just like knowing what actual self-care is now and knowing what I wanted self-care to be, what I made self-care you're right. It's an out-of-body experience. It is completely, your eyes are so open to just different things. You know, you're so observant. You're, I mean, it's like an alert, like you're just aware of everything. So that's how I feel right now is just that my eyes are wide open. Of course, people call when I'm having an interview. I'm sorry if you guys could hear sorry. that. So yeah, it's, it's an out-of-body experience for sure. Isn't no, it just no. amazing how you, t you, I mean, you can't wait to be 18, right? And then you can't <laughs> wait to be 21. And then all the clubs are 25 and 30 plus. So now you can't wait to be 25. And then you can't wait to be 30. And you hit 30 and you're like, wait a minute. Everything I was doing before was wrong. Everything. <laughs> I really like what you just said. I think it was really powerful about really being able to see where you were previously wrong. You know, sometimes we define things the wrong way. You were defining self-care as indulging, you know, in alcoholism and sometimes indulging and maybe complaining to your friends, but you realize that that really wasn't self-care. Um, just because let's say, for example, somebody enjoyed going to the club didn't mean that was helpful, you know, to them. So discipline can be the difference between saying I would enjoy this but it's not really a, it's not really a good fix. It's just a temporary high. It's just a temporary um, bandaid and it's not a real solution. You know, I think that that's why vision boards are really powerful. Goal setting is really powerful because you keep in mind the person that you want to become and you start taking steps towards becoming that person. And then you are able to see giving into this temptation isn't going to get me there where I want to be. So it's another way to tweak your identity. So did you visualize yourself as an author before publishing your books? That, that's how it was. It was now I'm an author, but 
I'm still, I'm not going to say struggling, but I'm still getting used to it. I'm still calling, you know, getting used to putting that author in front of my name before it was just Elizabeth Brown. And now I need to add a little respect to myself, you know, and put, <laughs> I need to, you know, put that on there and um, just kind of really live in the shadow of an author. I don't know what that looks like. And so I'm still just going to be myself regardless of what have you until I learn differently. But my work and my books reflect who I am. And I mean, I'm fun. Um, you know, I'm a good person. Like I'm, I'm a great person, you know, but as you said, we're human. Right. So I have flaws just like anyone else. And Dealing with dealing with the flaws I currently have in trying to be an author, it doesn't. I don't know. It's. I want everyone to be just as excited as I am about me being an author. But first, I have to excite myself about being an author. Mm. And so, until I successfully excite myself about being an, I see my books. I mean, I have books here at you know with me at my home, and I see them every day. And every day I look at them, I'm like, oh, that's my baby. You know, I just birthed my baby. And then I'm like, but what did I birth though? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what, what do I want people to get from my work? What do I want them to view me as? What kind of reviews, you know, should I get upset at? I don't know any of it, you know, so it's all new. And the reviews I'm getting and things like that are, I mean, they're great. But I can't wait for that troll because now I feel like I've prepared myself to even go up against something like that. But as far as being an author, yeah, I'm still in the like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, I'm an author. You know, I should probably talk to some other authors and see what what that looks like. How do you go? You know, because it just feels like I'm still me. I'm still me with two books. I really understand what you're saying. You know, I'm a poet, a host, a speaker, an entrepreneur, an activist, an educator, an author, a podcaster. And whenever I add another thing that I do, there is an adjustment period. You know, some people say it's imposter syndrome. Like you feel like you're not really who you say you are. So you feel like an imposter for a little while. And then you start to feel I'm really good at this. And I really feel confident in it. In fact, I heard Les Brown say you have to be willing to be bad and awkward at something before you get good at it. So when you first put yourself out there, there's an adjustment. There's almost that expectation that people are going to say, oh, you ain't really an author. What you write? Are you in Barnes and Noble? I had somebody on Facebook ask me that. If you were author, are you in Barnes and Noble? And I was actually able to say, yeah, barnesandnoble.com. You can go look up my first book right there. You know, and that felt good to say that, you know, because um, people, that's the first thing that some people are going to say, well, where can I find your book? Can I walk into a bookstore and get it? If you're not on the shelf, you're not really an author. And then you can say, you know what? There's online bookstores now too, you know? Or you can walk into a store now. You can walk into the moment and you can actually buy my my journal books now. So I think there's that adjustment period where people can test you and question whether you are who you say you are. But we're we're growing into our greatness. You know, we're people who are evolving 
and we got to continue to kind of push ourselves. And, and I want to push myself until I've expressed all of my talents and abilities. But there is that confusion. Like you were saying, I want to get with other authors and see how they do this. You know, you, you want to know, am I doing this right? And I think that there's what, that's why there's so many groups on Facebook and on, you know, the clubhouse and people are getting together to get kind of a community of people who do what they do, because you do kind of feel like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, am I doing this right? And, and it does feel good to get in a group of people who are some of them just as inexperienced as you are, some of them much more experienced, but they remember what that feeling is like. They haven't gotten to that point of, you know, better than everybody and, and thinking that they know everything, you know, so it's, it's a beautiful place to be able to meet with people and, and just be vulnerable and say, you know, okay, I want to learn, but also to have that confidence to say, you know, I'm doing it my way. My book is my book. There may be other ways that other people publish their books. There may be other things that people talk about, but this is my style and it's okay to be, you know, myself and to be in my own lane, you know? So we have to give ourselves permission to go through that awkward stage. You know, I'm a parent and I remember my kids growing up and they're beautiful toddlers, one, two, three, four, and then they hit that awkward stage and they're all arms. Like this body is growing too fast for them. They're tripping over themselves, but they're growing and they have to be uncomfortable in that new body till they grow into it. And I think that emotionally and mentally, it's the same. We're not fully comfortable in our new self. And so it's okay that we just have to push through that and say, it's going to get better. It's going to get easier. I'm going to get skilled. But I think sometimes people give up because they think if they don't get it right, or if people laugh, or if they make mistakes that they should quit, and they don't realize that's just a part of evolving. And so I love it when people come on here like you, and they're transparent, and they share their journey, so that the people who are listening or the people who are viewing that might be scared to step into that author role or scared to step into that new business or scared to try that new job or even to ask that girl out on a date or for the woman to ask the guy out on a date. You know, they they can be like, you know what? It's okay for me to feel the fear and do it anyway. It's okay for me to feel insecure and still say, hey, you know, what's the worst that could happen? They could say no. You know, it's okay for me to feel like an imposter, but know that I really want to try and give it my best. You know, so we can actually say we did it and you don't know exactly what's going to happen until you do it, but then you could have this massive success. And then when you walk through your house, like you were saying, you can look at your two books on your shelf that you completed because you put that discipline, you know, into your life and you made the sacrifices to get it done. And now you have the fruit of it. Um, and so that's a really powerful thing when you believe in yourself and you put that discipline in your life to get it done and even to push past your past uh, fears and your past insecurities and just get it done. It's yeah. definitely trial and error. I, I realized that I had so I had got all these books printed, you know, because I'm just I'm I'm putting the carriage in front of the horse now. I'm like, OK, yes, you know, I got my books written, you know, they're in this software that I want and go on, you know, moving on, so on and so forth. And I got these books and realized how many errors I had in the, I mean, it wasn't a ton, but there was still some that I'm like, oh, well, this should probably be fixed. <laughs> I hope no one catches that, you know, but 
it's it's all a process and it's it, it is about growing and like my brother said to me one time he said if you think about it not until we're in our 30s are we trying to find our smile and he said well think about it and i have i literally have all my ids from you know like being a little kid to now and it's true my smile changed in each photo and i'm like wow wow and now i found my smile so you know that growth that growth is beautiful when we make it there but the process to get there is a process <laughs> just that that is amazing because babies are born and they begin to smile months after they're born. And you felt and your brother said that you didn't really find your smile, get comfortable in your smile until your 30s. And and I can um I can really resonate with that with my hair. Cause you know, I during quarantine I decided to cut off all my hair and go natural. And for ever, forever, my whole life, I had been afraid of going natural, even though I thought that it would be healthy, even though I thought that it would be a better experience for me, even though my hair was breaking off and shedding and doing all kind of crazy things. And since it's been natural, it's grown and it's so much healthier, so much thicker. It's doing so many things that I've always wanted it to do. And I think it's beautiful, but we don't grow into our own overnight. We don't grow into our own and become confident in who we are in our own skin until sometimes you said the thirties, I would say for my hair, it was my fifties. And, and with publishing your first book, you know, when I published my first workbook, I put it out there. You know, I did the first run of printing. And just as you said, I found 10 mistakes when I looked at that, that first run. And I'm like, I didn't, I proofread this thing. I don't even know how many times. And so I edited it after I had sold all the first run and I did a second run and then I found one more mistake in the second run. Like, how did I miss that one? You know, it's not perfect. But the thing that I realized is that things don't have to be perfect to have value. So there were a lot of people who bought my journal book and they were working through it. And those 10 mistakes, they didn't even notice in the first one. They were working on themselves and journaling and meditating and reading the different concepts and putting their pictures, songs, and affirmations inside. They were changing and growing. That's what they bought it for. They didn't buy, buy it for it to be perfect. They bought it to help them. And so when you're putting out your book, you know, people are buying it to hear your thoughts, to see themselves, to be inspired, to have that experience with art so they can really just enjoy what art does. So tell us a little bit about your books. Well, Unwanted Confessions Confirmed, right here. This one is a story of a young girl as an adult that has been tested with triumph, tragedy, knowledge, morals, values, and of course, confession. Um, and Sour Lemonade is a constant reminder of keeping your loved ones close, regaining power and strength within yourself. Okay. So Unwanted Confessions Confirmed is a period in my life from when I was a young girl to about high school. Um, and Sour Lemonade is a little bit, um, so in college and so on until now in my life. And they're both very, they're both very short books. And the reason is because I wanted people to understand this portion of my life and really 
really take it for what it's worth and really, you know, take what's for them and leave the rest. And I don't feel like that could have been done with my first book if it was a huge book. I don't think they would have gotten who I was or being able to connect with me as, you know, as they would now. And then Sour Lemonade is about 45 pages. And that's because it's a lot of, like I said, I had a lot of death in my family. And I just, I was trying to still find my place. And I was still trying to regain that power, regain that strength. You know, I, I was trying, I was trying to do what I didn't know I could do. And it, it just reflects that. That's what Sour Lemonade reflects. It reflects pain, hurt, but it also reflects taking my voice back in one way or the next. I like what you just said. I was trying to do what I didn't know I could do. And that's what a lot of people who are getting ready to do something new, they are at that point. They're like, you know, I want to do this, but I'm not exactly sure how to do it. And sometimes you just have to take that first step. The first thing that you get an urge to do, the first thing that you decide to do, it may mean you take a class. You know, one of my guests that I interviewed uh, last week, he talked about how his wife gave him a camera and a $5 class on uh, a class on Google. No, Groupon, a $5 class on Groupon for photography because she saw a talent in him, you know, and he didn't know how to how to take a picture, you know, professionally, but he took that class. And so sometimes, just like you said, we're trying to do what we didn't know we could do, but we feel we can, we feel we can do it. So we take that risks. You know, um, I was talking with my grandson who's five and I told him the story of the little engine that could, you know, the little engine that could got passed over because he was too small of an engine. And they kept saying, you cannot make it up this mountain because you're not going to be able to drag the cargo because you're just too small. But the little engine that could said, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And then he just chugged up the mountain. And when he was going up the mountain, he did start to slide back. But he kept saying, I think I can, I think I can. And he ended up going over the mountain and getting to his destination. So I think that we have to be that little engine that could. And we have to exercise that discipline to just move forward and push ourselves because we believe in our potential and we have to move out of our comfort zone and move toward our goals. But the discipline comes in doing something every day to making a plan and working on it every day, working on it consistently, you know, so that we're actually getting progress. We're actually growing. And so I, I really love what you said about I was trying to do what I didn't know I could do because sometimes you don't know, you just feel, you just think, and you have to go with that, that belief in your heart, that spark in your heart, that desire in your heart. It's almost, it's almost too hard to believe in, but you choose to believe in it anyway. You know? And it's, it's like having that discipline that you're talking about. And then you got that one voice. It's that one where you don't know where it comes from. You just, but the voice appears and it's like, no, just, just relax today. And then every day you're relaxing and you're relaxing some more until you realize that you've lost discipline and you've lost what your goal was. 
everyone has to have their system. One of the things that helped me to be more disciplined was getting a passion planner. Every week has a space to write a priority and that week's goals. There's a space for appointments. And I really like being able to check things off in that planner, being able to put stickers by things that I had accomplished so that the tasks were tangible. I could see if I had or I had not accomplished my plans. It made me more accountable than just keeping plans in my head where they were sometimes forgotten. You know, now my plans were staring me in the face. And now I literally open my planner and I can see what I've accomplished every single day. I can see all the stickers. I can see all the highlights. I can see all the check marks. And that was a discipline that I put in my life about two years ago because I said to myself, I'm going to be more productive. You know, my identity is I am a productive person. And so my cue, like Atomic Habits said, for that productivity was to write down what I was going to accomplish each day, which made me utilize my time better. And even though I still have some areas that I'm working on, I just stop wasting time. And I stopped making excuses for my wasted time. You know, I started my day off with this is today's priority. This is what has to be done today. And we got to get it done. And I think that everybody has to develop a system, whether it's having a friend, you know, to ask you, Hey, did you accomplish that or not? Or posting the goal on Facebook or joining a group of like-minded people, for example, Weight Watchers or a Facebook group, you know, peer pressure can become a powerful accountability trigger. I think that some people think that their emotions will help them, that they can just rev up some motivation. But most times I think we don't feel like doing the things we need to do. We need a system, a cue, a time and a place, a plan. And that's another thing covered in Atomic Habits, how to stack habits and pair a new habit with something that you already do. That book has whole chapters on creating systemic behavior change. So have you put any system in your life to help you be a little more productive and systematic and accomplishing the things that you want to get done? Yeah, um, so I'm actually in this uh, PR and speaking class. And they, they're kind of teaching us to put things in uh, like spreadsheets and things like that. So I've been doing a lot of those spreadsheets and things to kind of remember. And I've just been putting a lot of things in my calendar as well, just to make sure I'm on point and I'm on top of things. Um, I will say that I'm not, I, I would not claim to be as far as you because I am still getting there. And that process of just, you know, when you go and you you work and you do this and you do that and you try to just remember it like you were saying, you you don't really remember everything. And so I'm just trying to incorporate that pattern of using a planner and using my uh, calendar more and not just trying to remember it because I'm on the go, but taking that second to write it down or taking that second to put it in my calendar. So. I'm I'm hopeful that I will get to where you are. Well, I'm going to say this and I have to shout out my teacher family out there if they're watching because before two years ago, I had never used a planner, not consistently. I would buy them. I would use them for a few days and that was it. And I want to just say this to all the people who are out there. Sometimes it takes the right tool. You know, if you're trying to use a hammer when you need a screwdriver, the hammer is not going to work. So just because there's a planner that you use from the dollar store and that didn't work for you doesn't mean that there's not a planner out there that will work for you. Or with journaling, just because you bought a journal and you never finish it doesn't mean that there's not a journal out there that you can use like mine, you know, that has different prompts for each day and uh, has, um, it's short. 
It's only 20 pages, volume one. It's only 24 pages, volume two. So sometimes you have to find the right tool. So I had a teacher friend and she loved hers. I mean, she carried it everywhere. You never saw her without the planner ever. Every time I saw her in the building, she had the planner with her. And I was like, what is that thing? I, I mean, you carry it like you're in love with it. What is it? She was like, this is my planner, my passion planner. And I was like, girl, let me see this thing. And I opened it and it looked like, to be to be honest, the first thing I saw when I opened it, it looked like a wonderland. I mean, she had doodles, she had pictures, she had stickers, she had maps, she had a little scrapbook going on in there. I was like, what is this? I wanted to keep it just because I wanted to explore it. It wasn't even mine, you know? And I was like, what is it? She's like, it's my passion planner. And I said, oh my gosh. So I went to the part that was empty and I looked at it and it had places for your personal goals and your work goals. It had this thing called the space of opportunity where you could just doodle. It had motivational quotes. It had an inspirational task for each week. So those things really resonated with me and the variety of quotes in there just really resonated with me. They had little activities you should do each week to try to make yourself more, you know, uh, more of an impact in your community. It was like, I was like, okay, okay. You know, so I really found a planner that works for me. So sometimes what you've done in the past hasn't worked cause you haven't found the right tool, you know, and that's why we have to keep searching. And also when we see something working for somebody else, we might want to invest in that system because sometimes discipline is a matter of finding the right coach or finding the right tool or finding the right book or finding the right quote. You find that thing that helps you to develop that skill that you need. You know, so I believe in having a toolbox where you go and find out all kinds of, you know, little things that help you, you know, I believe in having role models and looking up people who have succeeded. So you can really be inspired to follow in their footsteps. That's a good, that's, that's, that's a good suggestion because I have a ton of just notebooks and planners and calendars and this and that. And I, I buy them because I don't know. I go into Walmart and I'm like, Oh, this is really cute. And I buy it. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to write in it. And then I realize that, it doesn't have anything that's going to contribute to my day or make me want to write in it outside of whatever glittery on the front. Um, so I also wanted to go back to something else because you mentioned both of your books and how one of them covered one period of your life and another one covered the period of your life where you had a lot of deaths. And I wanted to say that I think that that's the sign of a true artist. You know, to me, a true artist is when you go through difficulties, you turn to art and you use art as an outlet. You use art to deal with your loss and you gain um, wisdom and you show what you gain, the wisdom that you have gained through your art. You know, we bleed all over the page and all over the audience kind of metaphorically as artists. We hold our struggles up to scrutiny in the public because part of that is how we heal. And another part of it is just what we feel we were put here to do. So I also wanted to not just let that go unsaid that I think that true artists really do bring that magnifying glass to their pain and they show the beauty in the shadow, you know, the resurrection from the ashes. And they show that, that, 
pain isn't the end. You know, it can be the beginning. It can be um, a jump off point for something greater and better and how we can come back from all kinds of losses. That's a challenge in itself, just finding your purpose. I I don't know how many times I've asked myself, what is my purpose? You know, I've gone to school and I've paid all this money for this career, but is that my purpose? You know, I think some people may disagree with me, but I feel that your purpose is ever evolving. You know, when I was in my 20s, I felt that my purpose was to teach young people and to really inspire them to be the most that they could be. And that's probably why the Passion Planner also really resonates with me because it has those motivational quotes. I'm inspired by words. And when I read a new quote, because I always like to learn new things and it gives me something I need to do with that, you know, I'm inspired. I feel like, okay, my purpose for this week is to focus on that quote and to get my things done, but also to do this inspirational thing. So when I was a teacher, you know, and that was my only focus, that was my only innocence purpose um, as my career my goal was to inspire people that I came in contact with. And then later I realized that I could do that outside the classroom through my laughs and lyrics shows and that I could provide a platform for other artists to come out and inspire. And then, you know, that led to creating merchandise. And then that led to this podcast. And I also began to come up with, I guess, little slogans. Like at the very beginning of this episode, I said that I believe that I am a coach, a catalyst and a conduit. And so those three words, that's my purpose. Um, So once I just saw myself as a teacher and I just saw myself in the classroom and then now I see myself as a coach, a catalyst and a conduit. And I see myself as that wherever I go. If I'm networking, I'm still that. If I'm on the podcast, I'm still that. If I'm, you know, if my merchandise is away from me online, I have still produced that merch that is going out and doing that. So I think that your purpose can definitely evolve. Um, and that I think sometimes we think that there is one purpose but I don't think that anymore. I think that there can be two, three, four, you know, a dozen, they can all be interrelated, you know? So I think that a person should do that first thing that they feel is their purpose and then let their service evolve. And then I think, think sometimes other people tell you your purpose. I remember, you know, when I first started the show laughs and lyrics, you know, I had so so many people coming up to me and saying, You connect people from all different backgrounds, all different ages, all different genres of music, all different genres of the arts, of poetry, of comedy. And I never really saw myself that way. Um, So that was where the word conduit came from. Other people told me I was a connector and I said, they're right. I am a connector. That's one of my purposes. So I think, um, and, and I think we were talking about before about feeling like an imposter You know, I think people told me that for a full year before I started to even call myself that because it took time for my self image to evolve and for me to give myself credit for the fact that, Hey, this is a gift that I have. I didn't do anything to earn this. This is just something that comes naturally to me. And I think that sometimes that's also a problem with people wanting to find their purpose. They think that their purpose has to be something that they work at or that they developed in school or some kind of skill. Sometimes your purpose is just a gift that was God given. You didn't do anything for it. It just comes naturally to you. And that is a purpose too. 
Um, and I also think that there comes a responsibility when you realize what your purpose is, you know, so when you have a door that's open to you to use, you know, your skills and talents and abilities to further that purpose, then you need to do it. You know, you need to, um, to do, to walk in that purpose, you know, to walk in that, that divine calling in a sense. And so, you know, I think, I think that we can, I don't think that you have to look for your purpose in a sense. I think you just have to be um, aware when it, when it's shown to you, you know, I think it's one of those things where if you are listening and if you are paying attention, it will be shown to you and it may be shown to you multiple times. You might be like, you get hit on the head, you know, like, um, who was a scientist Newton, the apple hit him on the head. And then he came up with a theory of relativity or something like that. I may be getting my theories mixed up, but you know, it may be that kind of thing where it just kind of conks you on the head and you're like, Oh, this must be my purpose. And you weren't even looking for it. It just kind of fell in your lap. Okay. Um, well they can find me on Facebook, uh, at Lizzie Brown, L I Z Z Y Brown. Or they can find me on Instagram at beauty, B-E-A-U-T-I-I 28. Um, if they, so I've been having, you know, a little bit of trouble with getting my paperbacks on Amazon. So if anyone would like a hard copy or a paperback copy of my book, you can message me um, on Facebook that Lizzie Brown, or you can DM me on Instagram um, to get a hard copy. Otherwise, if you would like it in the ebook format, then you can go on Amazon and get it. And I'll just show you the books one more time. Unwanted Confessions Confirmed. And then Sour Lemonade. Awesome. Awesome. So we both are authors on here and we have our books. So for the people out there in the audience looking for some good reading materials that inspire you and get you to thinking about how to move through challenges, you can order from each of us. I also have other motivational materials like magnetic bookmarks with inspirational sayings, cards with positive affirmations, a personal development package, and inspirational and Afrocentric merchandise at www.laughsandlyrics.com backslash shop and laughs in the letter in lyricsmerch.com. I want to thank you guys for tuning in or viewing on YouTube and other social media platforms. Please like review, um, like a review on Apple podcasts, subscribe and share. Please reach out on my website. If you would like to be a guest on the Zenergy show and please support author Elizabeth Brown and her books. Again, thank you guys for being with us today and check out and share the other 42 episodes of Zenergy. Finally, may you walk in Zenergy. My name is Zenai Shea, and I have a weekly podcast called Zenergy, which is fuel for the mind, body, and soul. And this is the Zenergize Your Life Goal Setting Package, Volume 1. It comes with the workbook, a journal, stickers, a bookmark, tabs, and a QR code where you can find my podcast. And inside this workbook, you're going to have 16 different principles. The first one I'm going to show you mine is abundance. You have a place to put pictures that inspire you of role models, also pictures of goals that you want to create, goals, journal prompts, meditations, affirmations, all kinds of things to help you focus on this principle to better your life. And like I said, there's 16 principles. So this is a $15 package that comes 
with all of these things I've shown you, $21 with shipping and handling, and you can get it at laughsandlyrics.com. So Zenergize your life with me. Thank you.